Deuteronomy chapter number 5, please. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. It's always a wonderful thing to be back here in the church that's alive without the jump and the jive. Say amen right there. I'm so glad. I'm so tired of dead churches. Somebody said, uh, somebody said one time, said, uh, don't you... Don't you despise this clapping in church? I said, brother, if you went as many dead churches I did, you'd just be glad to get any kind of response, to be honest with you. And that's the honest truth. I mean, I go in churches, people sitting around like cheerleaders at a car wreck. Look like somebody's licked all the stripes off their candy cane. And, and uh, yeah. Hey, Matt Bushy got married since I was here the last time. Amen. You did quite well there, son. You really did. And uh, I'm glad. Katie... Katie Bell, right? Katie Bell? Huh? Okay, good. Wonderful, wonderful. How many is glad you married tonight? Raise your hand. Oh, I'd felt better if more had raised their hand. I really would. How many would like to be married? Raise your hand. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of people. Hands going up everywhere. Yeah. I think I might have told you this. I'm not sure. But one girl said, I would already be married. But the problem is, when it comes to men... Uh, young men that would be somebody I'd want to marry. It's kind of like parking places. All the good ones are taken and the rest are handicapped. And uh, so, anyway. So, anyway. I'm open to Deuteronomy chapter number five, please. I'd like to play and cut up with you and have some fun, but I don't have time. I, it's 726 and I've got more to say than I've got time to say, so I better get rolling here from Deuteronomy chapter five. By the way, before I forget it, the pastor was telling me I ought to preach a sermon tonight, but I, I think I preached it in 2015. He said, well, we got so many new people, you preach it again. I might do that next time I come. You, you call me on that one. But the sermon was a little longer than the one I've got tonight. And the one I've got tonight is long enough, so I've got to get started. But since, since, if I did preach it in 2018, by the way, it's the premier message that I preach on marriage and the home and child rearing and that kind of thing. And uh, since that time, we put it in print, a book called Submission Causes Submission, printed by the Sword of the Lord. It's not published by them. I didn't publish it in the Sword, but they printed it. And uh, so if you want one or some, we've got it. If you'd like to hear that sermon, I'll preach it tomorrow night or the next night at Brother Fields Church, one or the other. And, uh, but I did bring some of the books in, and if you want one tonight, they're $6. And if you want five of them, they're $5, if you get as many as five. And Rhonda will see you after service. If you have some place, she can put those back there. Yeah, okay, just after service. After service will be fine. And you can get a jump on them, because I imagine we'll move them all out when I preach it up at Brother Fields. But anyway, thank you, thank you for being here tonight. I'm open to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse number 32. And uh, you follow with me now. Everybody stand up, it's preaching time. And I feel a little preaching coming on. Uh, right now, I mean, the big wheel's about to get tangled up with a little wheel, and uh, we're going to have a time. Here's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse number 32, and follow along as I read. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you, and ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that ye may... And there's three words I want you to underline. If, you, if you're underlining your Bible, I highly recommend you do, whether you're reading at home or listening to a sermon at church, underline those three words, prolong your days. That ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Now turn the page and look in the same chapter in verse number 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Underline it again. That thy days may be prolonged. There's a second time God has said it. Now I want you to turn back a couple of pages to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 26. Deuteronomy 4.26 I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Uh, ye shall not prolong your days. Now in the first two and three places he said you do certain things, you'll live longer. I'll allow you the, uh, the uh, power 
given your decision to live longer by certain things you do. And then he said, if you do other things, ye shall not prolong your days. Verse number 26. Now turn the page. Same chapter, verse number 40. Uh, Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest, there it is again, underline it again, prolong thy days upon the earth with the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Now I want you to look in chapter 5, verse number 16. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath given, uh, uh, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged. There it is, underline it again, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I bring you a message tonight entitled, How to Prolong Your Days. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit of God, all over this Bible is the command of God to do certain things to to prolong our life so we can live longer. And there's certain things told us if we do, we won't live as long. We will live shorter. I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll show us this obvious truth contained all throughout the Word of God. And I pray that we begin to apply it to our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God tells us certain things we can do to live longer. And certain things if we do, we won't live as long. You just start looking in the Bible, you'll be stunned to know how much is said about it. For instance, Proverbs 3, 2, For length of days and long life shall they add unto thee. Talking about Scripture. First Kings three fourteen, And I will lengthen thy days. Talk about his statutes and his ways. Psalms 91, verse 16, With long life will I satisfy him, if he loves me and worships me. In Exodus 9.15, I will smite and thou shalt be cut off. The word cut off means your life will be shortened. God gave unto us certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our forefathers knew that, and he built that into us. And we have a right to live, and we have a responsibility to live. It's just as much murder if you kill yourself as it is if you kill your neighbor. There's no difference at all. Murder equals murder equals murder equals murder. And you have no right to do that. My mother, uh, her mother told her, she and my mother's name was Ruby. She said, now Ruby, uh, you, mom would get depressed about something, get all down and out and the world's come to an end and all. And she would say, now Ruby, you can't die every time you want to. Now, you get that in your head. You cannot die every time you want to. And uh, you, you're not, uh, we have a responsibility to live. Uh, now, uh, it's absolutely true that you can extend your life or shorten your life by certain things you do. Somebody said, now, Brother Brown, you crossed a line. That is not true. The Bible tells us that there is an appointed time for man on the earth. He's not going to go beyond it. There's nothing he can do to extend that, nothing he can do to shorten that. In the first place, there's nobody in this room believes that. Well, if you do, at least if they're in the right mind, if you do, I tell you what you do about midnight tonight, you take a sleeping bag and lay down this street out here and just go to sleep and see if you're okay. Uh, don't worry about it. Nothing you can do is going to shorten your life. <laughs> Nothing at all you can do, you know, and uh, just put a gun to your head and go click, click, click. You're safe. I mean, you know, if, it, if you cannot extend or prolong your life or shorten your life, no. Uh, but now, wait a minute. Here's what you need to understand. There is a verse in Job 7, 1, and this is what it says. Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days also like the days of a harlot? That is true. God has an appointed time for everybody in this room. But he tells us how we can extend it or shorten it. As a matter of fact, we can extend it or shorten it, or we can ask God and he will do it for us through prayer. For instance, Isaiah 38 and verse number 1. And I'm laying my groundwork now. Listen carefully to what it says. In the days, in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So this is God Almighty telling him, This is your time. This is your appointed time. Now, you're going to die. Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get ready. God doesn't tell us in our day when our appointed time was, but God told Hezekiah, time's up. This is it. And the prophet was sent with a message from God, you better get things ready. You're going to die now. This is your dying time. Now, look what he said. 
Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Lord, remember now, O Lord, how I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go, say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. So God had an appointed time for him to die, but through prayer, he asked God, and God pushed it on out another 15 years. Do you think God is a respecter of persons? Do you think that the same Lord over all is not rich unto all that call upon him? Do you think God plays favorites? And if you pray, God could extend your life and let you live longer. There are certain ways that you can extend your life. For instance, notice here, back in our text here, and chapter 5 in verse 16, Honor thy father. Father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. There are certain moral things like obeying your parents that you can do to prolong your days. Um, Great preacher here in Winston-Salem built a monster auditorium, housed the great uh, National Sword of the Lord convention every year. I went there for years and and heard the likes of um, old Harold Simon, and Dr. Housen, Dr. Rice, and, and uh, uh, Lee Robertson, and, and all the greats. I heard them all there. And every year he had it. What a great man of God he was. When he turned 50, he gathered his family together. And he said, children, I've got sad news for you. I'm going to die. And they said, Dad, what's the matter? He said, well, I'm going to die. If the Bible is true, I won't live much longer because of the way I treated my mother and daddy because of the disrespect I showed them, because of the actual way I showed uh, uh, rebellion toward my mother. If the Bible's true, I won't live much longer. Shortly after that, I had a heart attack and died. I was in Florida, and a fellow told me, he said, my son here, and said, I kept telling him, son, don't do that. He'd get up on the house and dive into the swimming pool. Beautiful home and a big swimming pool. And he'd dive into the swimming pool. He said, son, that pool's not made for diving, especially off the roof of the house and said, but I couldn't tell him and he wouldn't listen. And and now he's for the, sitting there in a wheelchair and for the rest of his life, a spastic, he hit his head on the bottom and paralyzed him from neck down. Um, you don't do well when you disobey your parents. Uh, you don't do well. You're going to live a long time. Uh, I've, this story, I, I heard it being attacked said it wasn't true, and I looked it up, and it was true. Uh, uh, here in uh, uh, Campolo, Brazil, a young lady came, uh, was going to go out with, with some friends one night, and her, uh, her mother um, begged her, said, Honey, don't go. I know those people. You ought not be with them. But she said, Mama, I'm going. It doesn't matter what you say, I'm going. I will not listen to you. I'm going. And so they pulled up in the drive. She went out with her daughter, begging her. She went along in tears saying, please don't go. When she got up to the car, she noticed they were already drinking. They were already drinking in the car. She said, honey, please don't get in that car, please. And uh, the people in the car all hacked and smirked over it. And the girl got in the car. The, The window was down on the car. She reached and held her hand and said, honey, don't go. Please don't go. And she said, mama, I'm going. And she said, well, if you're going to go, may God go with you. And she said, mama, if God goes in this car, he'll have to ride in the trunk. Because it's full in here. Six hours later, every parent represented in that car got a call that their child was dead. That car hit a big bridge at high rate of speed. It killed everybody in the car. The officer said there was no way you could describe the car. What they were referring to is the front of the car, the whole front end of the car. You couldn't even tell what kind of car it was. But the trunk was intact. They attacked the story and said, well, how would they, if the trunk was intact, how come they couldn't? They were talking about the front of the car. But anyway, here's the kicker. When they opened the trunk of the car, there was a crate of eggs back there. And not one single egg was broken. God will ride where you put him. God will, God will not make a robot out of you. Young person, God will not make you obey your parents. Matter of fact, God won't even make you obey him. He will give you that option. 
And you've got some choices to make in life, but you're not going to do well unless you respect your parents and obey your parents. There's just certain, uh, there's certain things you can do to prolong your life. There's certain things you can do to shorten your life. First John 5, 16 and 17. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. What is that sin unto death? It's not any specific sin. It's just the accumulation of sins where you commit that one sin and cross the line. You, God cut you off. That's the end. There is a sin unto death. And how about 1 Corinthians 11.30? Uh, Paul spoke to the church at Corinth, and he told them, he said, you know, you, uh, you're, you're living in sin. First of all, he told them they were saved, told us they were saved. He said, and such were some of you. But you're washed and you're cleansed and you're saved. They were saved people, but they weren't living like saved people. They weren't talking like saved people. They were living in more... Some of them, there was uh, fornication commonly reported among them. And some of them even lived with their mother-in-law. Things that wouldn't even talked about in the lost world in those days. And here's what he said. He said, he talked about their sins. He said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep means death. So he said, there's people dead, there's people already dead because of the way you are living. John Lennon. John Lennon was, of course, we know the name, uh, Beatles fame. Here's what he said in an interview with a London magazine. It wasn't an American magazine. It was a London magazine, London Evening Standard. He said this, Christianity will end. It will disappear. I do not have to argue about that. I am certain Jesus was okay, but his subjects were too simple. Today, we are more famous than him. He didn't end up too well. He was shot and murdered, killed four times. Shot four times. Murdered. Uh, you don't do well if you exalt yourself above God. You don't do well to push yourself up and glorify yourself. In the New Testament, Herod in Acts twelve twenty three 23 uh, made a great speech, a great oration to the people. And the people said, it's the, God, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And God smote Herod so that he was eaten with worms from head to toe. And it happened immediately because he gave not glory to God. There are certain things you can do to prolong your life. There are certain things you can do to shorten your life. The Bible is full of it everywhere. Number one, you can prolong your life by your relationship to the Word of God. For instance, in uh, Deuteronomy 11, verse 8 and 9, listen to these words. Therefore... Shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day? And it shall be, uh, and that ye may prolong your days in the land. There it is again, prolong your days. Here in our text, chapter 4, verse 40. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth. Now, how can you do that? By keeping his statutes and his commandments. There is life in the word of God. This is the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. It'll produce life in you, not only spiritual life, but if you live by his principles, you can live longer. Uh, Dr. Tom Williams. Did you ever have Tom Williams here to preach? Dr. Tom Williams, if, if you had him here, you're familiar with the testimony of his wife getting bacterial meningitis in Israel years ago. She got it suddenly. She reached back like this, and she went listless. And by the time he got her to the hospital, she was unconscious. And a brilliant Jewish doctor walked out and said, Mr. Williams, your wife has less than 24 hours to live. And there's nothing we can do about it. He said, uh, she's got the worst case of bacterial meningitis. He, he said this. He said, the spinal fluid is supposed to be clear. Hers is like buttermilk. And he said, there's nothing we can do. Later, that doctor came in, and um, uh, Dr. Williams had put a tape recorder, in those days of cassette tapes, and he had put a tape recorder there beside of her bed, and he had put earplugs in her ears, and she was totally unconscious. She couldn't respond, and he was playing the Word of God to her. And this Jewish doctor, lost Jewish doctor, came in and he said, what's this stuff? And they said, well, it was put there by Dr. Williams, this woman's husband. And he said that there is life in the Word of God. And uh, he says that the Word of God shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. And this Jewish doctor said, where is that found in the Bible? And they said, he said it's found in Proverbs 3, 8. Oh, Old Testament. If it's in the Old Testament, it must be true. So they don't believe the New Testament because they don't receive Christ as the Messiah. But they believe the Old Testament. He said, well, if it's in the Old Testament, it must be true. And he wrote a prescription 
that they were to play the word of God 24-7 in her ears. The doctor wrote the prescription. That woman lived 28 and a half more years after that. Now, she had some problems, but she lived. And there's life in the word of God. And she'll be held to that. Let me tell you, Christine Hewitt stood down yonder, raised her, the, uh, the Bible up and said, this book is the worst book that was ever written. She was found burned to death in her car. And later it was found out they murdered her and set the car on fire. You don't do well by coming against God's word. You don't have to raise it up and openly declare that you you hate it or don't believe it. You just live as though the Bible doesn't exist. And you conduct your life in some way other than what the Bible says. You're asking for trouble. You can prolong your life. You can prolong your life by... uh, by God's house and your relationship to God's house. I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I called Keith Gomez not long ago. I said, Keith, I heard this story. I want you to tell me again. And here's what he said. He said, it was a Monday morning. I'm sitting in my office. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard the awfulest noise. It was a man's voice. He was wailing. And he said, I walked out of the office and I looked and I didn't. And he said, I looked down the hall and on one of those fancy benches there. It's got a beautiful church. He said, there was a man sitting there with something in his hands. And he was going, oh, God. He said, I never heard a man wailing so in my life. He said, I ran up to him and said, sir, what's your problem? And he said, he looked up at me and said, you tried to tell me. You tried to, you preached to me. You told me. And I wouldn't listen. Here's what had happened. He hadn't been saved but just a few months. And he, uh, he had, he'd been a drinker and had some old friends. They'd called him that weekend and said, let's go out to Lake Michigan. Well, he said, I go to church. They said, look, you go to church Sunday night. But let's, let's have some fun. Old times. And so he took his little boy. His little boy got up that morning and said, Daddy, are we going to church this morning? He said, no, we're going to have some fun today. We're going fishing today. And they went out to the lake. And uh, he was wading in the water. The undercurrent got him, swept him out, and he drowned him. And his daddy's sitting there with his little shoes in his hands. He's alive. He'd be alive if I'd listened to my... I stood yonder in Lane Barlett Funeral Home uh, over a lady whose name I could call. She was in her mid-30s, her husband laying in the casket. And here's what she said. We, we knew we belonged in God's house. But when the warm weather came, we'd drive down to the beach. It was only four and a half hours to where they were going. And she said we were down there. And she said, um, my husband was waiting, and the current swept him out. She said, if we were where we're supposed to be, and if we'd been faithful to the church, he would be alive. And I saw tears drop off her cheek. Oh, yeah, you better be, you better be faithful to God's house. And you, it's okay to go on vacation. Your pastor would tell you that. But you better not take a vacation on God. You better be in somebody's Bible preaching church uh, if you go out. And God's warnings, God's warnings. I could tell you story after story. I, preached, I used to preach a message called Preaching Your Funeral. And uh, I was in a large church. I mean, in, in excess of fifteen to 1,800, a good-sized church. I had people bring a casket in. I put the casket in front of the pulpit. And I said, and I got to preaching on preaching your funeral. And I said, before this week's over, you can lay in that casket. There was a teenage girl in that church who had been the star of the youth group. She was on the cutting edge of everything right and good. But she had backslid. She wasn't out drinking and in sin. But she just, I don't know what happened, but she, she backslid. She quit the youth group. She wasn't, she wasn't dedicated to God like she was. The other young people tried to talk to her and tried to woo her back. And she wouldn't listen. She was in that service. When I prayed, I had no idea. I had no idea. A staff member told me, said, you kept pointing your finger right over to the section she was in. And you were pointing your finger at her and said, you could lay in this casket. Three days later, I got a call from a staff member. He said, Brother Brown, I was the man who got the casket for you. You had called the funeral home yourself. And the funeral home said, yes, we'll loan you a casket for the sake of a sermon illustration. And I went and picked it up and said, that girl was killed this week. And said, I was called on to comfort the family and meet with the family at the funeral home as they made funeral plans. And he said, when I got there, he said, they met with me and the funeral director, and then it was time, as always, to go into the casket room. And like I did when I passed it, in most cases, I'd go with the family into the casket room. I never made any suggestions. There was no decisions for me to make in there. I'd stand over to the side just as a comfort to the family as they went through the, ca- uh, the caskets. And he said, I went with that family into the casket room, and I watched them as they talked slowly, 
walked all the way down this side, across the end, back up this side. And they came back around and stopped at the casket you had used in that funeral and bought that casket and laid that girl in that casket in less than six days from the time you preached that funeral. I'm going to tell you something. You, you, you better listen to this Baptist preacher. When your pastor gets up and preaches on something and you know in your heart that you're not right with God about it, you better do something about it. You better not shun the warnings of God. Because I have called and ye refused. I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. I laugh at your calamity. I'll mock it when your fear coming. You will tell you, you're trifling with a holy God. You can prolong your life or shorten your life by certain things that you do. Morally, you can do that. Mentally, you can do that. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm preaching too fast, folks. I'm trying to get all this in. And I'm preaching too fast. But uh, I hope that you'll pick up on it. Um, So the way you think has a lot to do with the length of time of your life, your thinking pattern. There's people in this room need a checkup from the neck up. Did you know that? You really do. Um, Number three things to do about your thinking. Number one, direct your thinking. Direct your thinking. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Here's what the Bible says. Listen carefully. Uh, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, if there be any good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Control your thinking. You get a harness on your mind. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. There's certain... Listen, you need to have... We need to pull down imagination. Imaginations, mental images. Imaginations are mental pictures. They're things you see in your mind. Pulling down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of God. If you could not do that, God would not tell you to do that. You can obey every command in this book. And you need to, you need to direct your thinking. Direct your thinking. Uh, you know what? There's all kinds of wonderful things come to my mind that are not dirty and sinful. But I, I, see, somebody says, Brother Brown, you've never had a television. No, I've never had a television in my home. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what I have to do to have a good mind and walk with God. In the first place, my wife and I, we don't have time for television. We have other more constructive things we do for entertainment. And we don't have time. Television is a communication killer anyway. And we don't have time for it. In the second place, I don't need an overload of what this world's got to say. Somebody said, well, Brother Brown, how do you keep up with the things in the world? Which world? Which world are you talking about? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Somebody say, Brother Brown, you're 76 years old. How have you stayed so excited? And how do you say stay so thrilled? Because I'm heaven bound with the hammer down. I'm thinking about heaven. I'm not thinking about this wicked world. That's why. Yeah, you you don't realize how much the world is affecting you. You don't realize. uh, uh, I, I got a text from Newsmax. Newsmax is a great, great magazine. It's a... And uh, and it's as conservative as they come, and it's fighting the liberalism of this country, and I'm 100% for it, and I'm praying it'll succeed. And they want to see me their paper. And it's okay, and every article in it's on the conservative side and gives you the right slant, but I don't need that much information. I don't need that much. Lest your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and rioting and drugs. And that's not just the doing of it, it's the thinking of it. So I, I, we, we go in a motel, I sit down, and my wife puts my oatmeal or my eggs. She knows exactly where to put it at my request. It's with, with my back to that television. I don't need, on Sunday morning, I'm getting ready to go to some church and preach. You say, well, Brother Brown, all they're showing on there is the news. Yeah, I know, but that anchor woman sitting there with her dress hiked up to her elbows, I don't need to be sitting there looking at that. (laughs) Amen? I don't need that. I don't need to look at that. You say, well, Brother Brown, you're 76 years old. That don't have anything to do with it. Not at all. Just because there's chrome on the dome don't mean there's no gas in the tank. Now, you get that. But, uh, uh, you know, a fella came to Dr. Charles Stevens, preached over here at Piedmont years ago. (laughs) 
And Dr. Charles Stevens, they said, Doctor, is a student, 18-year-old student. Dr. Stevens, how old do we have to be before this thing of temptation of women or seeing a billboard or whatever? How old do we have to be before that don't bother us anymore? Dr. Stevens said, son, I'd have no idea. you got to ask somebody older than me. I'm just 80, so I wouldn't have any clue how old you'd have to be. Uh, and, and, and those truer words were ever spoken. But I'm just simply saying, direct your thinking. Direct your thinking. Uh, number two, plan your worry time. You should not worry. But if you're going to worry, set your time each week to worry. And that's your worry time. And just make an appointment Friday evening at 6 o'clock. I am going to worry. How am I going to pay rent? We can't pay rent. Okay, write it down. Uh, Friday evening at 6 o'clock, worry about how to pay rent. Okay? Well, I got this doctor's bill ready and the insurer's not going to cover it. What am I going to do? Write it down. Friday evening at 6 o'clock, worry about how to pay medical bills. And don't allow yourself to reach Friday evening till Friday evening. One fellow tried that. He said 80% of all the things I wrote down had already taken care of themselves by the time I got there. Did you know worrying is like paying interest on money that you never borrowed? That's the honest truth. Uh, it's like a rocking chair. It's always moving, but it's not getting you anywhere. Um, yeah. And so we need to, you know, Elijah. By the way, let me plan your worry time. Plan your worry time, and then have a dumping place. Have, you gotta, look, if you didn't have a place to carry your garbage, what would your house be smelling like three weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now? If you couldn't get the garbage out of the house, what kind of condition would your house be in? And it's the same with your mind. If You've you got to have a place... You gotta have a place to go care. It may not even be garbage. It may be stuff that's bugging you. You gotta have a place. You know what the Lord said to Elijah? The Lord said this. Elijah, the great man of God, it could pray down the power of God and lap up the sacrifice and burn up the altar. Do you know what the Lord said to him? He got depressed down under the juniper tree and wished for himself that he might die. And the Lord said, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, Elijah, look, you need some help. You need an assistant. I'm going to appoint the king, uh, Jehu, to be king. Now, Elijah, the journey is too great for thee. You can't handle life, Elijah. It's too much for you. I'm going to give some relief to you. God wants to give some relief to you. He wants you to have a place that you can dump things. And you say, well, where did we dump it? Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I mean, just, just get it off of you. I mean, just, just take it and just throw, cast it on him. Casting all your care upon him. And uh, uh, my pastor used to tell about a fellow that rode the train years ago. He got on the train. He had two big grocery bags full of something. And he walked up on the train. He was leaning against the post there. And he was moaning and groaning like something awful. The fellow was reading the paper sitting beside him. Finally, he looked up and said, Sir, do you have a problem? He said, Yeah, this, this is so heavy. I can't carry it. He looked at him real bewildered and said, Well, if you set it down, the train will carry it for you. And the man set it down and was relieved. And that's kind of a silly illustration, but that's how silly you and I are. We are in Christ he loves us. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. He, he wants to bear your burden. What, when, when did you really leak, take something with him, to him last and say, Lord, I can't carry this any longer. You're going to have to take this, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Uh, some of you here are not doing well and you're not going to live long because of your mental state. Oh, I don't mean you're insane, but you're liable to be someday. But, uh, but you're not going to live as long. Um, You've got to get some things off of you. I, you know, I wish you could have known my Aunt Daisy. My, my, my daddy's oldest sister was the last to go. She was 99 when she died. She had, we had planned her 100th birthday, and she lived down here in Reedsville, North Carolina. And I had planned to be there for her 100th birthday. I would cleared out my schedule as an evangelist, and had planned to be there. She died at 99. Uh, Aunt Daisy was delivering Meals on Wheels to the elderly at 94 years of age. 
driving, delivering meals on wheels to the. I wish you could have known her. I wish you could have seen her spirit. She didn't worry about anything. She was a very responsible person. She wasn't silly and giddy, but she had peace. Oh, wonderful peace. She was trusting God every moment of her life. I wish. I wish you could have known Jenny Peterson. Jenny, I preached. Jenny was a member of my church. I preached her funeral when she was 103 years. She died at 103. 103. She was born in 1899. Lived, she was born in the 1800s, lived through the 1900s, and died in the 2000s. Her life spanned three centuries. I wish you could have known her. Petite little lady, and in her right mind right up till the last, and faithful to the church right up till the last. And she had the sweetest little disposition of anybody I ever saw. She was happy all the time, and I'd go in and pick on her. She was, she was 98, 99. I'd go in and pick on her. Jenny. Is it true what I've heard about you? Uh, what's that, Pastor? I said, I heard you're taking your training. You're going to become an uh, 18-wheeler driver. You're going to be the over-the-road driver. Oh, no, not me. I'm not. I'd carry on with her. She was the funniest thing. I wish you could have known her. Some of you are not going to live as long as you could live because you don't have the right state of mind. You don't get, you've got to have mental relief. You're going to have to cast your care upon the Lord. I mean, you just are. And you're going to have to get some things off of you. Brother Daryl Bale, member of my church, I, he'd been married over 50 years. His wife died. And I preached a funeral that day. And that night, I called him, still alone. They never had children. And I said, Daryl, where, where are you going to be tonight? Where are you going to spend? Oh, he said, I'll be here at the house. Live in the same house all those years. I said, well, Daryl, who is staying with you? He said, no one. I'll be fine. I said, no, you won't. No, you won't. You're not staying by yourself. Live 50 years with a woman, bury her, and then go home alone to a house. No, no, you're not going to. He said, well, yeah, I'll be fine. I said, I'm coming out. I'm going to spend the night with you. I'll, I'll get Daniel, my son. We'll come out. He said, no, don't. He said, Lila's been sick, you know, before she died. And I will, I, I, I'm a bad housekeeper. And, and the house is not. I'd be embarrassed. I said, I'm not coming to look at the house. I'm coming to be with you, Daryl. And he couldn't talk me out of it. And we drove out, Daniel and I, and brought it, took our sleeping bags. Had a pull-out couch there in the living room. And I went in. He sat down by that old oil circulator there. And I talked to him a while. And he was sad. And um, so I said, Daryl, I know you go to bed early, so... We better, he said, yeah, I need to get in the bed. And so I pulled the couch out. Daniel and I laid down, and I was about to sleep, and here's what I heard. I thought he was having a heart attack or something. I knew he had a bad heart. I said, Daryl? He said, yeah. I said, are you okay in there? He said, yeah, I'm just missing Lila. Daniel was asleep, my little boy. I said, Daryl, can I come in? He said, you can. And I went through the door and sat down in a little love seat he had there in the bedroom. He was still laying in the bed. He was wiping the tears away. He said, Preacher, I didn't do Lila right. I said, What are you talking about, Daryl? Y'all had a wonderful marriage. Yeah, but I didn't do Lila right. I said, Daryl, what's wrong? I said, Lila loved you. I know she did, and I loved her, but I didn't do right. I said, What did you do so wrong to Lila? Well, he said, You know, um, I'm an old hermit, he said. I I, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm just, I like to stay home. And I don't, outside of going to church, that's it. We, we just hibernate here on the farm. But how many times Lila said to me, Daryl, we never see anybody. We never go anywhere. She said, Daryl, I, I love people. I would like to be around people. He said, I'd say, oh, you're okay, Lila. We can be happy here at home. And he broke down and cried. He said, I didn't do her right. Well, I can't bring Lila back, and I can't change that. But there's a man that needs to cast some burdens on the Lord. How many of you are here, and you could not think of anything you regret you said or did? How many of you here? I'm going to give you some good advice. You better give the flowers that you want to give somebody at their funeral. Give it to them before they die. It'll mean a whole lot more to you. It'll mean a whole lot more to them. And you better be thinking tonight, husbands and wives, I won't touch on this in that sermon I'm going to preach, but I'm telling you, you, you better be thinking about what you would say if your spouse died tonight and in 72 hours you stood over that body. What would you wish you had said? What would you wish you had done? Well, okay, but we're, what I'm preaching about tonight is you're going to have to give some burden. Maybe you failed. Maybe you didn't do right. You're going to have to cast your burden on the Lord. You're going to have, and if you don't do it, you're not going to live as long. 
You cannot, it, these things wear, did you never read that long list that the insurance companies put out about tragedies that happen, house burnt down, a divorce or whatever, death of a child, and it said if you have one or more of these in a year, within a year, you better make sure your insurance is paid up. And this is the unconverted insurance world telling you that. You're going to have to have a place to take your burdens. You're going to have to have a dumping ground. You're going to have to direct your thinking. You're going to have to get responsible mentally. You're just going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. (laughs) Oh, boy. Just get happy. An old Irishman came in every morning, and uh, the factory where he worked in, he'd come in and say, Hallelujah for heaven! It just rattled everybody's nerves, you know. Well, one old infidel got tired of it. And one morning, this Irishman came in. He said, hallelujah for heaven. And this, this old infidel said, well, hallelujah for hell. And this Irishman said, that's what I always say, every man for his own country. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> man, we ought to be an advertisement for heaven. Amen. We ought to be thinking about heaven. It's sounding sweeter all the time. And it seems like lately it's always on my mind. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, there's a way you can prolong your life. There's a way that you can live longer. I've studied people that lived a long time. I know why they lived a long time. It's because of things that they do with the, mentally. And then there's physical things you can do to live longer. Third John 1, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. There's things you can do physically to prolong your life. And things you can do physically to shorten your life. Uh, Joseph, who's my pastor, my son, said, Dad, you've got to look at this picture. said, this guy shot by me on a motorcycle the other day. And he said, I knew nobody would believe what I saw if I didn't take a picture of it. And he said, I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I caught up with him. And he said, uh, and the guy was running. Joseph said, I was doing 65 or more when he passed me. And this guy just shot by him. And he said, I floorboarded, caught up with him. This guy was running 75 to 85 miles an hour on a big motorcycle on the hind wheel. Right up on the hind wheel. Going down an interstate with cars all behind him and around him. You don't prolong your life by doing things like that. I mean, you really don't. And and, uh, you're going to have to use your head. A woodpecker does. Use your head. And Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that you can take enough illegal drugs and kill yourself with it? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that you can drink enough liquor to finally kill yourself? Raise your hand. How many believe that you can smoke enough cigarettes to finally kill yourself? Raise your hand. That's not too bad down here in tobacco country. That's a pretty good vote, I would say. Um, There's certain things you can do physically to prolong your life and certain things that you can do to shorten your life. Um, you know, um, when my wife was dying with cancer, my first wife died with cancer, I'm standing over her body, and Dr. Lott, head of the uh, chemo radiation department, she was looking down at her. She said, now, what we're about to do to you can cause your heart to stop, and I'm required by law to tell you this. And what we're about to do can burn your lungs out. And what we're about to do can, and she went through a list that made my heart stop. And she said it can give you a limp arm. There's a chance you'll have to have it wrapped the rest of your life. And went through all of these different things. And uh, she was a very um, brilliant uh, 38-year-old lady. And very mod- she was very stylish but modestly dressed. And so I was going to witness to her and did. After my wife left the room, I witnessed to her. She said, yes, we're Seventh-day Adventist. I, I pinned that woman down. She vowed she was saved. She just declared in every way I could come at her. Maybe she was. I think some of them are, some of them are not. Most of them depend on works. I said, well, being the Seventh-day Adventist, you folks eat pretty healthy. Yeah, we eat all organic. And I said, uh, I said well, now I'm standing in Mayo Clinic, the head of the radiation department, Dr. Locke. And I said, uh, I played dumb. I said, do you think there's any correlation between healthy eating and prolonging your life. Oh, yes. Our nutrition department here at Mayo Clinic has proven by statistic that eating five or six small uh, servings of raw fruits or vegetables per day equals radiation in the prevention of cancer coming back. How about fell on the floor? I said, you just told my wife? I didn't say it, but I wanted to. You just told my wife all the things that you could do to her could kill her? And you're sitting on something that equals that? 
And you weren't even going to mention it? Yeah. She said, I'll send you a printout. On, and she did. I still have it somewhere. Uh, I was going down the street some years ago. I'm going to get off of this in a minute. Y'all can take a breath. I'll be off of this in a minute. Uh, I, was going down, I was going down the street years ago. And I was still in my 30s at the time. And I think I had five small children at that time. And I met a farmer my same age who had the same amount of children I did. And he and I both were in perfect health in those days. And I said to him, we got talking about insurance cost, health insurance cost. And he said, yeah. He said, I'm with Farm Bureau. I said, I'm with Farm Bureau. But I'm with a special preacher's group out of Ottumwa, Iowa, because I can get a special rate by being in a preacher's group. He said, well, that's nice. He said, man, I have to pay so-and-so. I said, hold it. You pay what? And he told me. I said, wait a minute, something's wrong. I'm paying more than that. I'm in a preacher's group, and you're just in the general uh, drinking, smoking farmer's group out here. And I'm paying more than you are? He said, well, I'm just telling you what I'm paying. He said, I don't know what you're telling I'm telling you what I'm paying. He said, you can go down here and ask him at the office. The girl's sitting down there in the office now. So the next morning, I called her, and I said, ma'am, uh, I'm Larry Brown, and I ran into one of your clients yesterday, and I called him. Yeah, he's one of our clients. We, he's had insurance with us for years. And I said, we have the same risk factor. And I described, she said, yeah, you both have the same risk factor. And I said, he's paying this amount for uh, health insurance, but I'm paying more. She said, well, who are you with? I said, I'm with a preacher's group out of a tumble. She said, oh, that explains it. I said, ma'am, what are you talking about? She said, well, we have to charge you preachers more because you cost us more. I said, ma'am, these farmers drink and smoke, and that's not good for your health. And we, we preachers, we don't drink and smoke. She says, you're right. And she said, drinking and smoking is not good for your health. But the truth is, what they do offsets that. These farmers get up early and stay up late, and they're working all day long, and they're under tractors and out in the field, and they're, they're plowing and working and lifting and baling hay. And, and, and he said, you preachers, you... All you do is just stress, stress, stress. You overeat, you under-exercise, you don't take care of your health. You cost us more than the farmers. So I dropped the preachers, joined the drinking, smoking farmers and saved money. (laughs) Scouts honor, no kidding. Honest, no kidding. There's certain things you can do to prolong your life. Prolong your life. Uh, By the way, and you know we're all going to die. And uh, uh, you can eat as healthy as you want to and still die sometime. I had cancer 21 years ago. I just left off some things. Uh, and I still don't eat it exactly like I need to, but I, I've left off some things. I won't go into all that I've lost, uh, left off altogether, but I have not tasted cake, pie, ice cream, candy bar, soda pop, or anything in 21 years. Not 21 years. Because sugar feeds cancer. And what I'm doing may not be worth a dime. I may die with cancer anyway, so let it go on record. By the way, do you know it's now proven that people that take barley green and drink carrot juice each day die healthier than people who don't? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they die healthier than people who don't. And I may die anyway, but at least I'm trying. I've got a responsibility to live. And blessed be God, I'm more alive tonight than I've ever been in my life. And I'm enjoying life, and I can run all over this building. And don't you get on a bicycle and challenge me. I'll outrun you sure as you're alive. Amen. My wife and I jump up and ride 10 miles every morning when we're home. We borrow bicycles when we go out. We've rented bicycles. We've ridden all over America. And we've ridden, we ride 10 miles just as a, as a workout. But then we rid 30, 40, 50. And we, she rode one 100-mile trip with me. I've taken 80-some trips of 100 miles per day or more. And I've got another 100-mile trip coming up as soon as I can get off the treadmill here and get back on my bike. And uh, you say, how long does that take it? None of your business. But I do it in one day. <clears throat> I do it in one day. And uh, so, anyway, there's certain things. We, Robert Mary McShane, the great McShane. I stood in his pulpit in Dundee, Scotland. He'd preach and weep. He was one of the greats. We study about him in history. Robert Mary McShane abused himself with schedule, not drink, but schedule and his eating habits and died at 29 years of age. 29. I walked out of the church and walked, my wife and I, Rhonda and I, stood over his grave. Robert Mary McShane. Just before Robert Mary McShane died, you know what he said? I was given a message. That was the gospel. And I was given a horse to deliver the message. The horse was his body. Alas, I have killed the horse. 
and I'm not able to deliver the message. And when you kill the horse, you're not going to be able to deliver the message. I just say that. And so there are certain physical things that you can do to prolong your life or shorten your life. And uh, I think you can eat anything. Biblically, you can eat buzzard as long as you put enough prayer and ketchup on it. Did you know that? I really think, (laughs) biblically, I think you can do that. But... um, uh, I'm just, and I think every child of God, every each 12 months, ought to eat at least one great big greasy pork chop just to show the devil you're not under law about anything. Say amen right there. And uh, But behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. You can kill yourself by the way you drive. You can kill yourself by how you eat. You can kill yourself by the what you think. You can kill yourself by disobedience to your parents. You can kill yourself by rejecting the warnings of God in your life. And so here's what he said, that you may prolong your life. But here's the good news. You can prolong your life eternally. John 10, 28, eternal life I give unto them, and they shall never perish. And John eleven twenty six, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Mm. Boy, if that don't light your fire, your woods wet. I'm telling you, amen. Yes, sir, eternally. You say, how do you prolong your life eternally? Well, I tell you how you don't do it. I'm standing in Subway there in my little town of Washington, Iowa. This has been some years ago. And rock and roll music blaring, blaring over my head, coming out of the speaker, and I'm waiting on my sandwich to get done. And I try to tune that out. I was a rock and roll singer years ago when Elvis was popular and all that. But, you know, I try to tune all that out. And, but I could not help but pick up on the words he was saying. His name was Bon Scott. He was singing a song called Highway to Hell. And he, boy, he was screaming, Highway to Hell! Highway to Hell! Hey, mama, look at me. I'm bound for the promised land. Hey, Satan, pay my dues. Play it on a rocking band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm bound for the promised land. Highway to Hell! Mocking God, mocking his parents, mocking hell, mocking salvation. But long after that, he choked to death on his own vomit. You don't prolong your life by rejecting eternal life. You don't do that. You're not going to live forever by rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And he drowned it in his own. I could give you a dozen more illustrations, but it's 16 minutes after 8. And I try to be respectful of what you're usually used to here on a Wednesday night. But God led me here to preach this message. You said, well, I don't like something you said a while ago. Well, what about the things that you do like? What are you going to do about that? Yeah. Well, you said something that I don't agree with. Did I say anything tonight you did agree with? Did I say anything? So what I'm saying is, you know, you're going to take one little thing and you're going to let that be your excuse to reject everything I preached tonight. If you do, you're asking for trouble. You are asking for trouble. Would you like to prolong your life? Young people, would you like to live a long, long time? It'd be a wonderful, wonderful thing. I don't know about you, but I hope to live to be 100, and then I'm going to put up an argument about it when the time comes. I really am. And, uh, but I'm going to pray the Lord will extend my life. I know it's in his hands ultimately, but I also know he allows me to extend it or shorten it. It's so clear from the Bible. And God gives you the same prerogative and the same choice. Behold, I set before you tonight the way of life or the way of death. Let's bow our heads and pray.